And so what's special about this company is that they have figured out how to manufacture this stuff at scale. And they're going to be raising money to build a manufacturing facility to actually do this. And I've basically been saying, you know, as I've been investigating the company and learning more and more about it, that they're going to have to change the name of Silicon Valley. You know, it's not going to be Silicon Valley anymore. It's going to be this company's valley. All right, everybody, welcome to the Angel Research Podcast. We are here, as usual, today to discuss the market's hottest stock stories and investment opportunities. We have a special episode today where we are going to be hyper-focused on a relatively new investing strategy, a private investing strategy that allows everyday traders like you and me uh, to sidestep the stock market and make money the way that the world's richest people have been doing for years. We're talking about people like Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, you get the idea. This is the one thing that all of them do to become enormously wealthy. Uh, and that is specifically purchasing shares of private companies before they go public, typically at massive discounts to IPO prices. For years, this kind of investing has been reserved or privy to the wealthiest of Americans. But new laws have opened the floodgates for pretty much anybody to invest. There are no income requirements. Uh, you don't need to be related to a company founder. You don't need to have any real special connections, anything like that. All you really need to know is a guy like our guest, Jason Williams here today, who is well-connected and knowledgeable enough about this specific kind of investing. And fortunately, he is here with us today to give us the ins and outs of this investing method and these simple steps that you can follow to participate. So Jason Williams. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the show. I, th I think maybe a good start uh, is for you to give the audience a primer of your background, who you are, uh, your time on Wall Street, maybe some of your experiences on Wall Street, and you know why you left Wall Street to serve the Main Street investor. Okay. All right. Sounds pretty straightforward. Um, so as Jason said, my name is Jason Williams. Um, I got my start in finance uh, working for Morgan Stanley. Uh, I always say I was in the belly of the beast, you know, because we were, the I think at the time, the second biggest bank, the second biggest investment bank in the world, second only to uh, Goldman Sachs. Um, and, uh, you know, I got to work there. I got to work with some of the smartest people, some of the, the best investors in the world. Um, and I learned a lot from them when I was there. But one of the things that, that we did at Morgan Stanley uh, was what's called uh, book running. Right. And the book runner is sort of the company that, that helps um, what well, the book runner is the bank that helps another company go public. Uh, and like go through their IPO, you know, shop the, the shares around to everybody. And so I watched Morgan Stanley facilitate the IPOs for um, General Motors did a new IPO after they declared bankruptcy and like relisted their stock. We handled that IPO. We handled the Facebook IPO. You know, we handled a lot of these billion dollar IPOs. And what I was noticing was that like, yeah, our customers, the ones who bought the IPO on the primary market, um, which is like, you know, bought it directly from the company that was going public. Uh, they made some money, you know, and they were usually able to sell it for a little bit more on the secondary market, which is where people like us trade. Um, <clears throat> but the people who really, really made the big money were the insiders, the ones who already owned shares in the company and who, instead of buying at the IPO, were selling at the IPO. And, you know, I'm not the kind of guy that can sort of like sit there and plug along happily when I know something way better is out there. So I got really interested in that market. And I was like, I want to know how to be a private investor. I, I want to I get in on this. And usually the people 
you know, that that are cashing out at the IPO are founders. You know, they get what's known as sweat equity, where you know instead of being paid a paycheck, they're paid in shares of of the private company. Um, early employees oftentimes are given uh, restricted share units or options to purchase shares in the company as part of like their compensation package. You know, sort of to lure them in and be like, hey, we can only afford to pay you like thirty thousand dollars a year, but if the company goes public, you might be a millionaire. Um, so, you know, it was usually those people, but then it was also venture capital, you know, venture capital, people with, with deep pockets that basically these companies had gone to and said, look, we need money to, to continue to grow. Um, and we're willing to give you, you know, equity in our company, a piece of our company, if you can provide some of that money for us to help us get where we're, where we're going to go. And so, you know, those are really the only people that weren't, you know, friends and family or employees or founders that were really getting paid in these IPOs. So that was the part of the market that I really wanted to get into. Um, but the thing is, is that there's literally rules uh, up until a few years ago that said that you cannot invest in a private company unless you're what's known as an accredited investor. And so an accredited investor either has, you know, all the certifications that I had to get when I worked on Wall Street, um, you know, Series 7, Series 63, all of these tests and stuff that like professional traders, professional investors uh, have to get in order to sell securities and things uh, that proves that you know what you're talking about. Or you have to actually already be rich. You know, you have to have at least a million dollars net worth outside of your house. And most of us, you know, if we do have a million dollars net worth, it includes our house that we live in. And that's, that doesn't count. Um, so if, uh, if you were already rich, you could participate in these things and get richer. But if you weren't already rich, then you couldn't participate in the most lucrative market in the world. And that just sort of struck me as kind of ridiculous. And yeah, so, it definitely sounds like a rigged game. Oh, totally. A hundred percent, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, you could be if, if you're not rich, but your friends and family, you can invest in these companies. And that's how a lot of like politicians sort of get into it is because, you know, like if you're a politician, well, you can be anybody's friend. Um, you know, uh, if, if you help them get their company out there. So like, this is where you see like, you know, uh, this, this is how family fortunes are built. And like you said, when we, when you, you gave your introduction, um, one thing that really ties all billionaires out there together or almost all billionaires together is that they all own shares in private companies. You know, and that's really how they made most of their money. Um, Mark Cuban, you know, from Shark Tank, uh, uh, Kevin O'Leary, Mr. Wonderful, like both of those guys founded public co or founded private companies and sold them, and you know, cashed out when they sold them and became uh, multimillionaires and eventually billionaires from it. Uh, Elon Musk, the reason he's the richest man in the world is because he owns so much of Tesla. And he yeah. owns so much of Tesla because he's one of the founders of Tesla. And no, there's no income that's going to get him there, right? Or no no salary that's going to get him exactly. there. It's, it's all from investing and getting in exactly. like enormously. And really, there are no billionaires out there that made that. I don't want to say that they didn't work for it because sure. they obviously worked for it. You know, Elon Musk worked really hard to build Tesla to what yep. it is today. Um, but you don't you don't become a billionaire by collecting a salary. You become a billionaire by investing. And most of the time you become a billionaire by investing in private companies. Uh, Warren Buffett, you could take him as maybe like a, an exception. You know, he, he invests mostly in publicly traded companies and he became a billionaire. But he became a billionaire really, really slowly. You know, if you and want even to do now this fast. 
Yeah, like, Berkshire, Berkshire now too is a lot of private companies, right? They do own a lot of private yeah. companies. You know, they've taken companies private uh, themselves. They've invested in other private companies. Um, but yeah, really, you know, like you, you have to if you want that explosive growth, you know, that's where it comes from. And uh, I mean, back when I first started, um, you know, getting interested in the stock market in general, there were like twice as many publicly traded stocks out there. But that number has shrunk and shrunk and shrunk over the years as companies stay public or stay private longer because you know they had access to all of this money. And so uh, that's really where um, this this new type of investing comes in. And uh, that's why I'm really so excited about it because it allows people who are regular rank and file retail investors who aren't already millionaires to make the kind of investments that could potentially make them millionaires. Okay. So yeah, could you give us some more details on this? I mean, I guess maybe tell us when this legislation was passed. I know that it's been passed in the past couple of years. and then there's there's two different kinds of there's is it two different separate legislations right the Reg A and the the Reg CF are those so, two so they're all part of the same legislation okay uh, they were all sort of slipped into the the Jobs Act right which is the Jump stands for Jumpstart Our Businesses and Startups Act uh, and so after uh, the 2008 financial collapse it was really tough for for small companies to get investments you know people were were scared like what's going to happen you know we we just went through the dot com bubble bursting and lost so much money we just went through this really deep recession and lost so much money. Um, and basically, Congress wanted to wanted to jumpstart that uh, that that funding again, and so they sort of I like to say they snuck this into the legislation because you know prior to that the the law you know the laws that have been passed by Congress were keeping regular people out of of this market, and so like they definitely sort of snuck this in to allow us to get into the market, and um, basically it's it's what a lot of people have have heard of as crowdfunding. Right. Um, and uh, but most people think of crowdfunding as like, oh, you know, like a GoFundMe page. Like I need help paying my bills. So I'm going to post a GoFundMe page and uh, see if people will, you know, give me like like a couple thousand dollars or, or you know, uh, somebody needs a surgery or, you know, somebody got into sure. a car. Uh, but there's actually this thing called equity crowdfunding where basically companies can go out there and uh, through through various portals online, they can post their shares uh, and and allow people to invest. And oftentimes the uh, the minimum investment is $100. You know? So with $100, you can get a stake in a company that could be the next Tesla, a company that could be the next Amazon. Uh, and this is the first time in like uh, almost 100 years that people were able to do that. Um, <clears throat> and so you mentioned uh, that there's two kinds of rounds, uh, Reg CF and Reg A. And the Reg stands for regulation. Um, and, uh, so regulation CF is, it literally stands for regulation crowdfunding. And, and those are smaller rounds and usually, um, what, what would be called in venture capital seed stage rounds where it's a very small company, you know, they have a team, they have an idea, um, you know, they, they know what market they're going after and maybe they've sort of started executing on that idea, but they're very, very early stage. Uh, and those rounds are much smaller. Um, I think the maximum that they can raise in those rounds is $5 million. Uh, but those are also the rounds that usually have the minimum of, of like $100 uh, to invest. Uh, then you move up to what's called a regulation A round. It's a regulation A plus round. Um, and in the A plus rounds, you can raise up to $50 million. And so usually these are much more advanced companies. These are companies doing what in venture capital you would call a series C or a series D round, which is like the, the funding round that they do right before they're ready to go public. Okay. So most of these regulation A companies, they, they plan to go public. They plan to list uh, on, on the stock markets. And uh, this is sort of their, um, their last funding, uh, funding round or, or fundraising to sort of get them over that hump 
so that they can they can become publicly traded. So what I found like really crazy about this is that this law has been around for uh, a while, right? Uh, it's almost a decade now. Yeah. So, um, but not a lot of people are investing in in it. I like. No, definitely not. Not many people are taking advantage of it. I mean, not many people even even seem to know about it. Yeah. So that's pretty crazy. And that's kind of I want to transition the conversation to uh, what you do, and you kind of try to put this this investing method in front of people's uh, faces and try to make it more accessible for them with your Main Street Ventures uh, newsletter or yep. investing service. Yep. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe tell us, you know, what are your you know, what does your audience get? How many uh, how many deals are coming through every year? Just yeah. give us all the details on yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, Main Street Ventures, uh, you mentioned is the name of, uh, of my investing service. And uh, basically the reason I founded it is because this is such a lucrative type of investment. But like you said, not many people seem to be taking advantage of it. Not many people even really know about it. So Main Street Ventures is sort of my way of getting the word out to, to regular investors because that's that's why I left Wall Street. You know, if I wanted to continue to help rich people get richer, I, I would have stayed at Morgan Stanley and I would have cashed big paychecks and I would have gotten million dollar bonuses. But that's not what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to help. I wanted to help people who really needed help. You know, like people who are already billionaires don't, in my opinion, don't really need the help. You know, they're fine. They're billionaires. If they lose half their money, they still got five hundred million dollars. Like, um, so that's why I left uh, uh, Wall Street, and and that's why I founded Main Street Ventures because I really want to get the word out there. But I also know, investing in private companies myself, that there are a lot of sharks out there, and it's definitely not as uh, as cut and dry as investing in a publicly traded company. You know, there's no there's no Yahoo Finance of private companies where you can go and look at five years worth of balance sheets and income statements, and you know, get uh, audited financials and SEC. Um, uh, you know, SEC filings and things like that. Sure. It's, so it's really difficult. So, you know, they can hide things. They can take advantage of yeah. people. Okay. So while it might be legal now to invest this way, it's not necessarily accessible because definitely it's confusing. It's confusing. Um, you know, it's not easy. You have to know where to look for the companies. It's not like these companies are out there. You know, cold calling. You know, like like Joe and and, and yeah, Joe and and Cindy or or whatever. You know, down sure. the street. But like, you're in contact with them. How does yeah, that, how does exactly. that kind of work in terms of so, like? You know, working. Uh, we mentioned I worked. In, I worked at Morgan Stanley. Um, I did some postgraduate work at Harvard Business School, and just over the years, I've built up this network. And I know a lot of. You know, I've met a lot of serial entrepreneurs, people who are just constantly starting new companies, um, selling them off, making exits, going back and starting something else. Lots of venture capitalists. Um, I met lots of guys who were stockbrokers who made money. Um, you know, like working in stocks, working in finance, like I did, and then decided they wanted to continue and and become investors on their own. Own, hedge funds, private equity. So I just, I just like constantly built this network. You know, I was always trying to meet new people and learn whatever I could from them, and then you know keep in touch with them because I, one thing that I definitely learned being on Wall Street is that it is a lot about what you know, but it's really more about who you know. So you're kind of in a way like uh, you're playing Cupid or matchmaker between kind of, yeah. between these companies that are looking for funding and the Main Street investor uh, Main Street investors who you know are trying to make some money off of these, these exactly placements. exactly you know these companies know that um, that I I am a private investor myself they know that I have access to other people who are accredited investors they know that I know hedge funds you know and so they reach out to me and they're like hey you know we've got this great idea and we're looking for funding and we're offering this you know super discount on these shares, you know, do you know anybody who, who might be interested? And, you know, after fielding years and years of these phone calls, you know, there's only so much 
you know, money that I can invest personally. And there's only so many companies that I can invest in personally. But a lot of these companies are really, really good. So, you know, I started sort of letting them in about, you know, letting them know about uh, this crowdfunding market, these Reg A uh, rounds and these Reg CF rounds and, and the ability to access uh, retail investors. But then they would come back to me and be like, but how, how, do we, how do we do that? Do we just get a phone book and start calling people? And I was like, you know what, you're right. You know, we really need a community where we can bring these companies and these investors together, but where we can also, you know, vet these companies so that the investors aren't just getting everything thrown at them, but are really only getting, you know, the 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 companies that I would personally invest. Okay, in. so that was the next thing I, I was I wanted to ask. What exactly are you looking for, and how are you filtering these companies? Are they as they're coming in? Are you kind of just winging it? Do you have some sort of system, or what's the what's the deal there? No, definitely. Um, so the first thing I look at, uh, uh, well, I, I'll just say I, I have a, a system, and I've called it the timer system. Um, and basically the first thing I look at is the team, you know, the team behind the company, you know, because I, I would say, you know, over, over all these years, I've met a lot of people and I've met a lot of great people, but I've also met a lot of not so great people. And I feel like life is way too short to work with people that you don't feel comfortable around, that you don't feel that you can trust. Sure. Um, so the most important thing is the team, you know, can I, can I invest in these people, you know? Um, and if, if I, I feel comfortable with them and I feel like they would be a good investment, then we move on to the idea. You know, what's their idea? You know, do they have a big, like bold idea? You know, are they like the next Airbnb where, you know, everybody's like, you know, like, oh, we should start a hotel because we can rent out rooms in a hotel. And they're like, nah, man, like there's all these houses around. Why don't you just rent out rooms and houses? Uh, you know, that was a huge idea. Um, but you know, you can have a really, really great idea, um, like pets.com was a great idea. Chewy has been an incredibly successful company, but pets.com did not have what Chewy has, which is the market. Chewy, Chewy had a market and Chewy, you know, had the technology to be able to, uh, to, to, to make money shipping pet food, you know, but pets.com tried to do the same thing and they just didn't have the market. So the next thing I look at is the market and, you know, you have to have a big market. Either there has to be, you know, millions, billions of, of potential customers, or there has to be, you know, one or two customers with billions of dollars to spend, you know, so it has to be a big market. So uh, you've got the T, the I, and the M, right? So that's the, the team, the idea, the market. Exactly. And, and, you... and then I want to see execution. Okay. You know, I want to see them executing on their idea. Um, you know, they, 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 they can't just have the idea and then be out there looking for money. I really want to see that they're executing on that idea already, that, you know, they're putting their own sweat into it. They're putting their own money into it. Um, and that they're, they're already getting to work on this. Sure. It can't just be a pitch deck. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's gotta be more than, than a pitch deck and a website. And uh, you'll find a lot of companies can raise a lot of money with just a pitch deck and a website. Uh, it's really, it's, it's, it's all, it's honestly kind of scary. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I look for execution and then finally I look for companies that are setting up roadblocks, um, for their competition. Right. So, you know, if you're a small company, a startup, say you and I have a great idea, we're a great team, you know, we've got a huge market that we can sell it into. We're already executing on it. And, you know, Facebook or Amazon or Apple or Tesla finds out about it. Well, they've got billions of dollars. They can either, you know, they can just, they can basically just, just, just come in and steal our thunder, you know? So what kind of roadblocks do you have that prevent somebody from doing that? And, you know, in some cases it could be as simple as like, we've already spent a billion dollars developing this technology. You know, somebody else is going to have to commit a billion dollars if they want to catch up to us. Um, or, you know, it's taken, you know, 10 years to develop this. Somebody else is going to have to put in 10 years if they want to catch us. 
But what I really like to look for is patent protection, uh, intellectual property protection, you know, because if you have a patent, you know, you've got 20 to 40 years of, of basically no competition. To, to execute on your business plan. So I look for um, I look for the team. I look for a good idea, a huge market, um, a company that's already executing, and a company that has roadblocks to keep the competition from coming in and sort of taking taking the market away from them. Okay, so let's assume that you find a company that matches all these uh, you know things in your timer system that, and you say this is a good company to invest in. How do you communicate that with someone who's a member of Main Street Ventures? Well, so I, I send out, you know, weekly updates to the Main Street Ventures community just to sort of let them know, you know, what I'm looking at, what's going on in the, uh, um, you know, in the, the, the private the private equity world and the venture capital world, what I'm seeing, what I'm hearing from my contacts, um, and I call those uh, I call those just you know Main Street Ventures dispatches. But when I find a company that really just hits all of the buttons, you know, and, and checks off all of the boxes, and I think this is a great investment that I really really want um, you know everybody else to see and, and know about, I send out what I call a deal dispatch, and the deal dispatch breaks down all of those criteria that I just that I just went over the the team, the idea, the market, the execution, the roadblock. You know, and very simple to read. Um, it basically, it's really simple to read. Report. Uh, it explains all of the uh, all of the details of the deal. You know, uh, how much we're paying per share, how much the company's valued at at that price per share, um, the minimum investment, uh, the the maximum investment, uh, and uh, if there are any limitations. Um, because there there are some limitations with these uh, with these regulation crowdfunding and regulation A plus uh, rounds. It, it doesn't matter how much money you make or how much money you have, you can invest in them. But uh, depending on how much money you make or how much money you have, that sort of, uh, uh, that, that will, will dictate how much you can invest in these companies. Um, so, you know, basically they don't want people getting, you know, investing like 100% of their net worth into, into these, you know, startup companies. Gotcha. Because really, I mean, honestly, nine out of 10 startups fail, you know? Um, and, and I would like to say, and honestly, our track record shows that, you know, we're, we're doing better than that. I, I do know? want to go over that in, in a minute. Um, um, but, but, you know, like most, uh, the majority of, of startup companies fail. And so, you know, you don't want to put all of your eggs into one proverbial basket and they actually have rules in the, in the crowdfunding space to prevent people from getting, getting too excited okay. doing that, you know? What, what about the actual process of investing? Is it as simple as you know, signing onto a brokerage account and doing it? How does that all, how does that work? Is there a lot so, of paperwork? It's a little bit more complicated than just signing into a brokerage account um, because you're sort of going to have to, uh, you know, when you, when you set up your brokerage account, you fill out all the paperwork once. You know, you, you fill out all of the information, you give them your social security number, they do their, their um, anti-money laundering stuff, their know your client stuff, they figure out who you are, they give you your account, and then you're good to go. Every time you log into that account, you know, they can just reference that paperwork you already filed. But when you're investing in private companies, you sort of end up having to like fill that paperwork out with each investment. But other than that, it's basically just as easy as, as buying a stock in, in a, you know, with your broker. Okay. I want to take uh, a couple minutes here to, I guess, get some context in terms of some of the deals that you've looked at in the past, some of the past deals and the performance. So what, I, what I've did before I came in here is I, I printed out your, your portfolio. Okay. I have I some of your open- on my laptop too. I have all your open positions. I have uh, you know, your different categories of investing. I'm just going to kind of walk through and hopefully you can help me out and okay. put, some, put some of this stuff in, in, some, in some more context. All right, for sure. So you currently have 19 open 
deals. Yes. And these are all private. These are all private deals, right? Like private yep. shares. Yep. These are all private companies still. None of them trade publicly. Like you can't go to, you know, E-Trade or Fidelity or whatever and type in a ticker symbol. You know, the, the ticker symbol doesn't exist yet. Okay. And the average, the, your average gain per trade right now is 40.88%, which is. is pretty impressive, but it's actually more impressive than that because this number is getting dragged down by a lot of zeros and we'll put some context i think into why those zeros are there mm -hmm. but none of them are losing there you have zero losers yes we have not we have not made a losing investment yet um so there are a bunch there that that shows zero percent gain and that's basically because we've invested in the company um the company is now using our investment to grow and hit milestones but with private companies it's not like a stock where like it's repriced every couple of seconds when people yeah. want to buy and sell it uh, a private company gets repriced every time they raise money. So this 0% basically just means that these companies haven't needed to raise more money yet. You know, they raised the money and now they're using that company or that money to grow. Um, but, you know, so we've got, like you said, there's, there's, there's a good number of, you know, 0%, but these are all companies that are in the process of spending the money that we help them raise. You're sitting there and you're waiting for those companies to go public. Exactly. And to me, I guess it, you know, it's important to talk about like, you know, every investing strategy has its, you know, pros and cons. And to me, this is the the one con of this investing strategy is that you're going to have a little bit less liquidity and you definitely. have to have a little bit more patience. Yes. But yes, in the definitely. end, I mean, it definitely seems like it's worth it based on all of the deals that you have exited have been profitable. Yep. You haven't exited a single unprofitable deal yeah. since you've started the service a couple of years ago. So to me, that's super impressive. And, and that's sort of what I was really going for with, with Main Street Ventures is that, you know, we, we, we vet every single one of these companies. You know, I, I speak with the founders, I speak with the executives, I speak with, you know, other investors, maybe people who, who uh, were their angel investors, things like that. Um, I really dig into them. And I got to say, I probably turned down like 75 to 80% of the companies that, yeah. that come across my desk, you know, um, because, you know, for one reason or another, a lot of times, you know, their valuation's too high. You know, they're, they're, they're sort of pricing imperfection and it's really hard to hit perfection. And if you have priced imperfection and don't hit it, then, you know, you have to do what's known as a down round where, you know, I invest at a uh, dollar a share and then you don't execute how you're supposed to. And the next person comes mm -hmm. in and gets to invest at 50 cents. And now I'm down 50%, you know, so that's definitely, we don't, we don't want, we don't want that. We haven't had that yet. Okay. Can, can you tell me a little bit, a little bit about these, uh, the high yield income section that you have? So it, is it, so are there actual funds that are private you can invest in? How does that work? So there are, um, one of them that we have on here is, uh, is, is, um, offered by a company called Yield Street. Um, and it is available. Yield Street offers, you know, um, lots of different funds. Many of their funds are just for accredited investors. Um, but some of them are for regular investors, retail investors, basically, you know, non-multimillionaires. Um, and one of the ones that we have, it pays 8% or its goal is to pay 8% annual yields via quarterly distributions. So it's basically like owning a dividend paying stock, um, but you know, you're not trading it on the open markets. You're not seeing the, the you're not experiencing the, the capital appreciation or the capital depreciation. Gotcha. You know, you're just collecting those yields. And then once you're ready to, to exit, um, you let the company know, they return your principal, and you get to keep all of the interest um, that you that you have. So we've had that one on for a little bit over a year now. Okay, we've great. We've gotten paid eight percent in uh, in interest, so that's um, that's awesome because I mean, like uh, we we just we're going through this you know um, super high inflationary period, and so like these people are actually they're making money. Like pretty much everybody else, you know, your bank account's losing money through inflation. The cash in your pocket is losing money through inflation. The stock market was crashing all last year. And yet, you know, not only 
uh, did did we not lose money with this investment, but we actually beat infl- uh, beat inflation too? Okay. Do you ever expect these funds to go public, or those? This is more of a. Like- I would imagine so. So the uh, the one that I was just discussing, oops, the one that I was just discussing, um, <clears throat> I don't expect that to ever go public. To be honest, yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's probably going to stay private, but it's going to continue to accept uh, non accredited investors. Um, the other one that we have is actually uh, a debt investment that we did in a private company. So it's not a fund. It's actually you know we gave this company a loan. And the deal mm-hmm. was that they were going to borrow our money for three years. They were going to pay us 17% interest per year. And then at the end of three years, they're going to give us back our cash. Okay. And I mean, 17% annual interest, like I couldn't turn that down. Um, so we've held that one for about two years now and uh, we've, we've, we've got a 34% gain on it. Okay. That's pretty impressive. That's uh, let's, awesome. let's look at some of these reg A companies. So most of these you haven't, uh, a lot of these are from the, the currently open positions and most of them are reading 0% because you haven't exited them yet. Correct. Uh, there is this one that's reading a 40.2.5% uh, gain. Is that a company that went public and you're still sitting on it? What's what's the deal with that? So no, this company's still private, um, but they have hit a lot of milestones okay. since we first invested in them. Um, and they recently filed to raise a new round um, mm-hmm. uh, towards the end of 2022. And it's at forty percent higher than where we invested. Um, so you know, this company is part of the uh, the smart home industry, um, is is how I would describe it. And you know, like smart homes, when when you can tell you know your smart speaker to turn on your lights, you know, open your windows, close your windows, uh, all of those, change the temperature, whatever. Pour yourself a glass of wine. I don't know if there's any any machines that do that yet, but I'm sure there will be soon. Um, but anyway, this company, you know, they've just made a lot of progress. They've got. Um, let me see. They they sold out of their first generation device um, and have their second generation device on back order also. Um, they're rolling out, I think, three new devices this year. You know, they've got a smartphone app um, that makes it a little bit easier to to connect. They've also got. Um, they're also adding, you know, a uh, an actual controller so that you don't have to use your smartphone. Say, you know, you're not comfortable using smartphone apps or something, or you, you don't want to download an app. Um, but they've like gotten deals with uh, with assisted living communities, um, with um, hotels, with uh, uh, business development companies. You know, companies that are developing um, office buildings and things like that. And they've also brought in uh, a lot of strategic advisors and board members from other much bigger companies that are in the smart home market. And so one of the things that that I really like about this is, is I mean, it's a great company, um, but if you look at the valuation they came out at, uh, we invested at a $32 million valuation. And they already had the device, they already had sales, you know, they already uh, had international penetration, uh, patent protection, and they had this very reasonable valuation. And uh, not long before this company came to me looking for funding, uh, Ring, the video doorbell, had been bought by Amazon for like $3 billion. You know, So this company came with a $32 million valuation. And what they have is, is something that I think people would like even better than, than Ring's video doorbell. You know, So uh, this, there's a possibility that they get bought out. I think that that's their main goal is to actually get you know, bought by one of these larger companies. But you know, if it would maximize shareholder value more to go public, then they're going to do that too. And we'll get the excitement of selling our shares into an IPO. All right. That one definitely sounds really exciting. Are there any others in this Reg A category that you think uh, stick out? Um, Zen Labs sounds really familiar, but I'm not sure exactly what that is. Uh, so Zen Labs was a cool investment. Um, Zen Labs is uh, a California cannabis company, 
but it's not your normal California cannabis company. Um, and I can talk about them really openly because their their rounds closed right now. So you know they're not they're not raising any money right now. They um, uh, we're looking to raise around uh, twenty million dollars in this round. I think they got to about eighteen, and they decided that that was good. Um, and what Zen Labs does is uh, they will well they do a couple of different things. They they act as a nursery basically for cannabis plants and uh, hemp plants for CBD and THC. And so they have all the licenses to grow these plants and sell them and you know process them and manipulate them and everything. Um, but what they do is they will uh, say you're you are a cannabis company, like you own a cannabis company and you grow cannabis and you sell cannabis and you're basically, you're paying licensing uh, by the square foot, right? But you have to keep this one plant that's known as the mother plant um, that, that you're never going to actually get any cannabis from. What you're getting is other plants from it. You take cuttings from it and you put them in the ground and you grow those. Um, and so that's sort of, that's a waste of space, you know? And also like as these plants age, they're, they're like us, you know, as we get older, we're not quite as, uh, as, uh, we, we don't have as quite as much vitality as we used to, Sure, you know, and I, I feel that every time I go to the gym, um, or every time I drink too much, uh, that's just true. the gym is much more, much more frequent these days than the drinking too much. Um, but yeah, we just don't have as much vitality as we get older and plants are the same way. So what Zen Labs offers to do is basically take your plants and like strip their DNA down to, you know, the, the, the the best part, you know? And um, then what they can do is you call them and you're like, hey, look, we want um, 100 young plants of this variety that we stored with you guys and we want them by this date. And Zen Labs will take those plants and they'll start them in their nursery. And by the time you get them, these plants are all weaned and ready to just drop in the ground and start making weed with them. That's pretty incredible. It's really cool. And that's how regular farming works. You know, um, tomatoes, right? Farmers that grow tomatoes don't go out and plant tomato seeds. What they do is they buy tomato plants and then they drag this machine behind a tractor and it drops tomato plants into the ground. And so, you know, what I saw with Zen Labs was, you know, sort of the next step in the cannabis industry. The cannabis industry is still really in its infancy. You know, it's been around for a while and it went through that explosive high growth phase. But now basically, you know, investors are seeing that these companies aren't profitable. And they've got these really high expenses. And one way that you can cut down on your expenses is by using a nursery like Zen Labs. And so Zen Labs was really uh, unique in that it was a, a private company, a, a relatively young startup, and it was already cash flow positive. So basically, it didn't need our money to grow. It, it needed our money to accelerate its growth. And that's exactly what it's done. And so, um, so there's you know, your execution. Exactly. Your, gotcha. You know, so they were already executing. Uh, the team behind it was really great. Uh, and um, they have patents on their process. And also, you know, it's really difficult to get these licenses to grow THC. You know, there's a lot of red tape that you have to go through. So they already had all of this stuff and they had a really reasonable valuation at $45 million. Okay. Look, we got a ton of these on that list. So I, I just want to keep moving mm -hmm. no, and we, we can move on to this. I mean, CF. I could talk for hours about I, each I know of these you companies. could. I feel I'm like really excited can, about yeah, all yeah. of them. So uh, the, the regulation uh, CF. Yes. So you've got, a again, a yeah, bunch these of- These are like legit, these are startup companies. So yeah. This is what people think of when they think of startups. This is, you know, where like uh, maybe like a little bit further on than where Tesla was when Elon Musk, you know, became an investor in it. So does does that open up an opportunity for, I mean, obviously maybe there's a little bit more risk, but are the rewards higher here? Because I'm just, I'm looking at one of these companies, which you have sitting on a 600% gain. Yes. Uh, the the, the equity. Yes. And I um, actually need to update that gain because it's bigger now. 
Okay. Um, so it's uh these these there is there is definitely so there's there's more risk because like I said you know at this stage at that like early startup stage where like they're getting that seed funding and the regulation CF is definitely seed funding. Yeah. You know that is the highest risk like stage for for any company. Yeah. You know they they it's it's you know sink or swim at that point you know and and if they do well man they can do really well for you. You think about um. I know I've used this as an example before, but uh, Jeff Bezos got funding from his family to start Amazon. And these people put in maybe like $10,000 to $20,000 a piece. And every single one of them are billionaires yeah, from that wild. investment, you know? So, but, but, but they could have lost that 10 or $20,000 entirely and then just not wanted to see their cousin Jeff at the family reunion. Sure. Well, I mean, it sounds like a bet that is, you know, obviously paid off and- Oh well, yeah, for them, for sure. And for us with it has too. Um, are really like this is the thing is this is the least sexy company i've ever invested in but like probably one of the has some of the best potential that i've ever seen um they deal with manure they basically found a way to reduce um to reduce the greenhouse gases that come from protein farms protein farms being where we get our pork and our beef and you know the meat that we eat from um and so they found a way to reduce the greenhouse gas emissions from that uh, and the end result is a uh, low smell fertilizer that's completely natural and clean water that you could literally drink if you wanted to. Um, they, uh, the, the, the rule in the U.S. is that there has to be a lagoon on any protein farm. And usually what they do is they just, you know, mix the manure with water and put it into the lagoon. And then, you know, the, the, the bacteria and microbes do their thing. But, you know, that process sends off tons of methane and tons of carbon and like all of these different toxic greenhouse gases. Um, and so uh, basically what they figured out how to do is to, to, you know, eliminate that step of the process. Uh, and so you still have to have the lagoon, but on a farm that lagoon is filled with fresh water and has koi fish swimming in it pretty crazy it's really cool okay i want to take a look at some of these closed positions or just i, I might just run through them mm -hmm. so your average uh gain per trade on your closed positions is 60.06 percent correct pretty damn impressive Not i would bad. take i think most investors would would you know like their mm -hmm. average investment to be and to... four for four i love yeah. that you know i mean you can't win them all i i, yep. I want to like stress that i can't stress that enough there will be there will most likely be companies that we end up losing on, you know, but um, four for four, you know, that's that's definitely a better track record than just about any you know private investor that I've ever met. Yeah, so they're all winners, and you, you even got a, a double a double digit uh, or you know a double right here. Yep, we got 100, a double 100% digit game. Uh, we got a we got a double. We got a hundred percent gain. Um, we uh, have a you know a sixty about sixty seven percent gain. We'll call it sixty six and two thirds percent, uh, but we can round up there. Uh, and then on the same company, we got another uh, about 13% gain. And that's because in some of these rounds, when you invest, you not only get shares in the company, but you also get what's known as warrants. Okay. And a warrant is kind of like, um, I use the term option, right? For people who are, uh, who are, who are uh, familiar with, with public investing, with, with buying stocks. Um, options give you the option to buy or sell a stock at a certain price before a certain date. Warrants basically do the same thing. Uh, so with this company, we invested in the company uh, at a price of 50 cents uh, per share, right? And then we also got what are known as half warrants. And half warrants entitled us to buy um, a half of a share uh, of the stock. So if you have two half warrants, you can buy one share of the stock and you pay 75 cents per share. Um, so those warrants, usually they come, uh, they, there's a period 
uh, in which you can exercise them. And you know, like after that period, they're gone, you can't use them. So if the stock price doesn't get up above the warrant price, usually they just expire worthless. And that's okay because you know, really all There's you no want is the stock anyway. Yep. These are just sort of something that sweeten the deal. Um, but with this one, you know, we were able to, after our lockup period ended, um, sell the shares for, uh, uh, let's see, we sold the shares for $1.10 and uh, we were able to exercise the warrants immediately and uh, sell those for $1.10 also. So the shares we bought for 50 cents, we sold for a buck ten. Uh, the warrants that we paid, uh, those shares 75 cents for, we sold them for a buck ten. So, you know, we did pretty well on that. Okay. So these are all deals that your, you know, existing subscribers or past subscribers have been able to benefit from. Yep. What about anyone who's, who's, you know, interested in joining Main Street Ventures? Are there any upcoming deals that you're eyeing right now well, that you think are particularly I did you know, mention that I have to update uh, gain percentage because they are going to be listing a new round soon. Um, and so uh, their new round's going to be at $10 a share, which is a lot higher than the $1 a share that we initially invested in. But they've hit a lot of milestones. They've really proved that they are, they're, that they're worth that kind of money. Um, and even at $10 a share, um, their conservative projection is a 300% ROI on that investment. Um, so that puts the $1 a share investors at potentially a 3,000% ROI, um, but still 300%. I mean, you can't say no to that. So um, you're thinking about playing Cupid one more time. I, I think we might. Considering. Um, you know, I definitely like Fireman. I love the team. You know, I, I really haven't met a better team of people than, than the ones running that company. Uh, but there are other investments that are going to be coming up too. Um, there's sure, a company that, uh, that I'm really excited about. Um, you know, we've had problems with, uh, with microchips, you know, and uh, it's so much that so much that Congress passed the Chips Act to, to try and get uh, microchip and semiconductor manufacturing back here in the U.S. But the thing is, is that semiconductors are all printed on, uh, on silicon. Right. And, and they, they use some other um, some other things, but basically, you know, mainly silicone and these current the current technology that they use is limited. And we're starting to get to this point where you can see that there's like there, there's a plateau. We're reaching a plateau where we just can't fit any more circuits onto these onto these chips that we have. So the current technology is sort of peaking out at this company. Um, it's not the only company working in the in this uh, uh, industry. Uh, but basically, they, they're using a different type of material uh, known as gallium nitride. Gallium nitride, it's just a better material than silicone for, for making semiconductors. Uh, the process to make it doesn't release any toxins like uh, it does with silicone. Um, you can fit more connections onto these things. And uh, the, the issue is, though, that it's really, really expensive to produce these. And most of the companies that are working at it can produce like 12 of them a month. And like... Who needs 12 semiconductors a month? You know, we need millions of semiconductors sure. every month. And so what's special about this company is that they have figured out how to manufacture this stuff at scale. And they're going to be raising money to build a manufacturing facility to actually do this. And I've basically been saying, you know, as I've been investigating the company and learning more and more about it, that they're going to have to change the name of Silicon Valley. You know, it's not going to be Silicon Valley anymore. It's going to be this company's valley. Yeah, you know, this is you told me about this a couple months ago, mm -hmm. and I, I, at the time you said that it was you know it was definitely too early, but you were eyeing this company, and I found it extremely exciting. Yeah, I, I I'm think. really excited about this one. I mean, this is uh, this is going to be uh, and, and it's going to be a Regulation A round too. So I mean, the company basically, you know, this is their last step before going public. Sure. And I can totally see this one, you know, as a public company having a billion dollar price tag on it, or or higher, maybe even ten billion, a hundred billion. I mean, you know, the the possibilities are really limitless if they're able to do. Uh, with this uh, with this investment round, what they plan to do. 
Okay. Is there a general target date that you think that maybe this round might be opening or is uh, it more? Honestly, I think within the next uh, within the next one to two months, okay. uh, maybe three months at the outside, you know, so within the next quarter, um, I, I expect this company to, to open its round to, to retail investors. Um, and I definitely expect to be recommending it to, uh, to my investors. Okay, great. And they'll be getting one of those deal dispatches. Exactly. All right, Jason, uh, I'd love to keep talking, but I feel like we've covered most of the basics. And I think what we'll do is we can drop a link below and you can maybe you know, explain a little bit more yeah, uh, about, you know, Main Street Ventures, how to join, uh, you know, I strongly recommend anybody who's watching this to, uh, you know, check that out. And uh, yeah, again, there's no income requirements, yeah. just just probably a few simple clicks and Jason will make it, really it as is. easy as possible I mean, to get started. If you're 18 years or older and you have an internet connection and some way to access that internet connection, you can be a private investor too. All right, cool. Jason, thanks for coming on the show. Everyone else, good luck. And uh, right. yeah. thanks for having me. Take care, guys. See you.